Hi, everyone. A little note before we jump into this episode, across the nation and the world, there are so many important conversations happening about race and racism in the U.S., especially about blackness and anti-blackness. Our content isn't always explicitly so, but here at Connie and Kenny HQ, we are committed to uplifting our Black colleagues and community members, whether through our trainings, our Race and Real Estate Roundtable series, or our work with local realtor associations. If you want to chat more, send us an email to hello at connieandkenny.com. Now, on to the episode. Hello and welcome to the Thoughtful Realtor Podcast. We're your hosts, I'm Connie Chung. And I'm Kenny Gong. This is a show for budding real estate agents, whether you're new to the industry or seasoned and refining the fundamentals of your craft. We're absolutely thrilled to have today's guest on the show, Leonard Steinberg. Leonard is the chief evangelist of Compass, having joined the company when it was a little 50-person startup in 2014. Now Compass is the third largest privately held brokerage in the U.S. with well over 300 offices. Leonard is still an incredibly prolific broker. Him and his team have been responsible for over $3 billion worth in transactions. And for almost 16 years now, he has published Luxury Letter, a monthly report with incredible insight into Manhattan's downtown real estate, luxury real estate market. Um, And this is just barely scratching the surface. So let's dive in. Welcome, 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 Leonard. Thank you. That made me sound really old. (laughs) (laughs) Wise, accomplished, experienced also. (laughs) On that note, let's start with young Leonard. You grew up in South Africa and had a fairly formal education. How would you say that influenced your upbringing and view on life? Well, I grew up in a household that was very uh, much older. My parents were much older. So generationally, we had a very different way of living. Mm -hmm. We had you know, sit down formal dinner every night and we had to dress for dinner. Wow. Um, there was no casual eating on your lap ever. Um, and it was wonderful because it, it gave me an appreciation for simpler things as opposed to wanting flash and craziness. And I think it was um, in many ways a gift because I really did appreciate a slower, more mature way of living. I still enjoy a good cappuccino and cake. Mm. I love that. Was there the structure of it all? Did that influence how you think of structure now? Well, my father was the most disciplined person in the world, and my mother was the most undisciplined person in the world. <laughs> so it was a bit of a chaotic existence. But um, my dad, you know, would leave the house at 7 a.m. in the morning, which means you had to be at the garage by five to seven, because at seven o'clock you were late. Mm -hmm. So we grew up with that kind of thinking and mentality. And in many ways, that was a gift. I'm very ADD. I was extremely undisciplined. I suffer from mild dyslexia, undiagnosed until much later. So I really had a, um, I had a difficult ride getting into the disciplines of real estate, Mm -hmm. but I forced myself into it because in fashion, when you have five seasons a year, you have no option. A collection has to be ready by a certain date. There's no option. You know, Mm -hmm. it's like the train is leaving the station at this set hour on this set date. And if you miss the train, you've missed the train. So when you know you're going to miss the train and the train isn't going to wait for you, 
you get there on time. Mm. And this and this brings us to something that I love. And you have such a you have a lifelong interest in creative arts, fashion, architecture, design, and you mentioned being part of the fashion、um, industry. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? Well, when I was a kid, I'd wanted.、Um... I, w- I didn't know what I really wanted to do career-wise. At first, I wanted to be a、um, in the hotel business. Then I'd wanted to be an architect, but I realized I was too dumb for that. And then、um, I wanted to combine commerce and art in some way, and fashion was an obvious、um, possibility for that. My dad, however, is the unusual dad because no dad ever tells their kid this. He said, "Why don't you just continue being?" You know, doing your art because I loved art.、Mm. Said, why didn't you just be an artist and live off inheritance? And I looked at him and I said, this is not enough inheritance to keep me happy. <laughs>、uh-huh. So I embarked on a fashion career, and I、um, I loved it for ten years. I、um, did fashion. I had a very lucky break while I was in college. I had a horrible car accident, which forced me to be disciplined and work hard. And I stayed home for six weeks because I looked like Elephant Man, and I couldn't go outside even with big wayfarers on. It wouldn't disguise my Elephant Man face, but it forced me to work very hard on a competition in South Africa for the Young Designer Competition, which was equivalent to the Coty Awards in America for fashion. And I、mm-hmm. entered the Young Designer Competition, and miraculously, I won. And it was not because I was some kind of you know design genius, but it. Was mostly because I really put some thought into what I was doing, and I tried to be as innovative as I possibly could be. And for the first time, I did a couture-level collection of clothing that was not sourced from Europe, but was sourced from the African culture. And that was one moment where I saw the value of innovation. It gave me this award, which, when I came to America on vacation, opened up a lot of doors and afforded me the opportunity to get some. Job offers, which I thought I would only last for a day or two or a week, maybe, and learn the industry, and then go home with my tail between my legs. And as it so happens, I said, "Well, I'll stay another week, and maybe I'll try get a green card." Then I figured out that wouldn't take a week; it would take several months. Several months turned into several years, and I'm here still. <laughs> <laughs> It's such a colorful story. Something that you had mentioned,、um, which I want to want to dive into, is that fashion represented to you this interesting relationship between. Visual arts and business, and、yes. um, and I think that's certainly a relationship that a lot of folks that end up in real estate have. You know, there is this sort of this desire and yearning to be around beautiful things as well as to do business. What's that relationship between visual arts and business for you today? Well, I think you said it perfectly. It's when you elevate yourself into the helicopter and look down a little bit further away that you can see the synergies. Of visual creativity and commerce in real estate, and I thought when I left fashion that I'd, you know, wasted ten years of my life. And within a few days of doing real estate, I realized that the exact opposite was true. That having an aesthetic mindset and eye would have tremendous value actually to what I was doing. And instead of just being in the transactional business, I, you know. Geared myself more towards being visually aware, which translated to every marketing piece I put out, and also translated into me helping my clientele find the properties that were visually appealing, and translated into me、uh, creating、um, product then for new development, which was very helpful to developers that had an understanding of design and a you know a creative eye that was well trained. I also through fashion had been trained to spot trends. 
because in fashion, you're always looking for the next, the next, the next, the next. And the same is true in real estate and finish out and design. There is a uh, evolution of design that happens. And as you can spot trends in fashion, if you apply that thinking to real estate, you can help developers spot the next trends in real estate. So it, it really all came together mm -hmm. quite wonderfully. And I think all experience you have in life really translates beautifully to your next chapter. So nothing nothing is time wasted. As long as you're doing well, something, nothing is time wasted. Absolutely. Kenny and I both had jobs in, wearing many hats in the nonprofit sector. And we always say that we take our skills and our experiences with us and they've become very handy and useful as in the world as realtors and educators. And you've had such a rich, diverse history of jobs. I'm curious, what are some of the ones that have significantly nurtured you to become the person you are today? You know, I think one of the best jobs I ever had career-wise that fueled my career best was my mother was so annoyed at me one summer when I just sat in the pool from 9 a.m. in the morning till 7 p.m. at night doing really virtually nothing. And she's like, get out of that pool right now and find yourself some kind of summer job right now because I can't look at you anymore. <laughs> she went down on the couch and started reading the book. But um, I went to the local department store in Cape Town called Stutterford's and mm. I um, applied for a job and they would place you anywhere. So I was placed at the... Um, uh, the furniture department. And I loved that job. I rearranged that entire department. I redesigned everything and I made it look great because that department was actually closing down and I was in the studio liquidation of the furniture department and I combined sales and putting things together in a nice way. Very great lesson. I loved that. The following year, I decided I was going to go and try to get a job at Sutterfits again. And this time they placed me behind the cigar and cigarette counter. And mm. I took in 30 minutes. I was behind that counter for 30 minutes and I said, I'm out of here. And it was such, those were two great lessons because one, it showed me how I could adapt to an environment and use what I had at my disposal mm -hmm. to make it work. And actually had the joy of sales because I enjoyed sales, which was miraculous for me. I was a very shy, awkward kid. And then the second job was when something doesn't resonate with you, run for the hills quickly. <laughs> you know? Absolutely. So those are two of the best jobs I ever had. And then the third job I had was as a fashion designer with a company in Dallas called Victor Costa that was based in New York and Dallas. But I moved to Dallas because I wanted to get the green card. Mm. <laughs> and I thought I'd only be there for two weeks. And of course, I'd watched the first 126 episodes of Dallas. I was intrigued by <laughs> Dallas. And I loved the idea of Sue Ellen and Pamela Ewing running around in fabulous cars to parties. And I have to tell you what, Dallas' series was crazy. But what I experienced living in Dallas made the show look tame. <laughs> it uh. was. <laughs> I had so much fun in Dallas. I've never had that much fun. But that job mm. was a horror show. Mm. I had a boss who was awful to me. Awful, awful to me. In fact, at one point he told me, to stand in front of the mirror and tell myself repeatedly how stupid I was. Oh, my gosh. And, of course, I, because it was fashion and very camp, of course, I stood right in front of that mirror and continued telling myself how stupid I was mm -hmm. until everyone begged me to stop. But these days, in the professional environment, that would just never happen. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but, um, you know, that was the last job I had. After that, I've been pretty mm -hmm. much self-employed my entire life. And, you know, in real estate, I feel for the most part that I'm self-employed doing what I do because brokerage, you really are a you know, small business on your own. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. What was it about sales that 
helped you transform from a shy kid into into someone else? Well, it's a forced way of getting in front of people, and you, you're not looking for applause; you're looking for a sale. Mm-hmm. And um, I think that was an incredible discipline to learn. My dad was a super salesman, a super salesman. Why? He was a trained actor. He immigrated from Germany as a trained actor to South Africa, where no one wanted anyone with a German accent, least of all a theatrical person. So Mm -hmm. he was left selling. He went to do sales. But he said, I know nothing about sales, but I can learn the lines and I can, you know, make this entertaining. And a good part of sales is the experience of understanding the product and messaging it to a potential buyer and then seeing if they resonate with it and the price. And um, in fashion, I was actually forced into sales because I was actually in the design room and managed design first at my job. And then when I owned my own company for seven years with a partner, I was mostly designed, but then was pulled into the sales arena because the the buyers wanted to hear from the designer. So Mm -hmm. I was forced into that role. And at first it was very uncomfortable. And then I realized all I'm doing, I'm not selling, I'm explaining a product. And if you can explain something authentically, honestly, and with great passion, your audience loves you for that. It's the cheeseball sales pitch that, you know, is fake or dishonest that really turns people off. But if they get an authentic um, understanding of what it is you're selling, then you have, um, then you've performed kind of marketing magic and you're basically selling at the same time, which you know, it doesn't sound like sales, but that's really what good sales are. I think salesmanship is often confused with a bad perception of what selling is about. Selling is about explaining a product in great depth with understanding and passion and, you know, applying a price to that makes sense. And then seeing if the audience that you're speaking to resonates or not. Mm-hmm. It's the keystone, keystone for a really amazing realtor, for sure. Yeah, I think, you know, salesmanship is definitely a cornerstone of great brokerage. And that doesn't mean it has to be cheesy or theatrical or um, dramatic. There are different styles of sales that appeal to different consumers. And I think if you tap in authentically to who you are and hone that skill and never be arrogant about being exposed to potential improvement, then I think you can adapt and become extraordinarily successful. But you have to have the capacity and will to get deep into your subject matter and not speak to it on a frivolous, superficial level. I think when I speak to a loft in Manhattan and I would say, aren't the floors divine? That sounds like broker babble. But when I speak to 50 feet of frontage facing south that affords you light all day long, then you're getting a bit of insight into the value of the space that may, you know, win your audience over. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. It's huge. The all of this that you're talking about, this expertise, this these really nuanced understandings of um, sales through the lens of psychology, really, and understanding people and empathy, all of this reminds me how critical relationship cultivation is to our business. You and your team have done an amazing amount of business, um, and behind that, there must be an incredible level of relationship cultivation that you do with your clients. Can you tell us a little bit more about what that has looked like for you in your career? I think there are different kinds of relationships, you know. And I think when it comes to professional relationships, especially in real estate, every agent has a different style of nurturing their relationships. 
Now, my relationships with my clientele are very much based on a philosophy I have that I like, that I prefer. Very, very, very few of my clients are my close friends. In fact, I maybe have one or two. Now, a lot of agents have all their clients as their very close friends. That's not who I am. In fact, a lot of the clients who work with me say, I want to work with you because I have eight friends who are agents and mm. I want to work with a friend. So I am positioned differently to other people. And I also don't like to force myself on people from a friendship perspective where they have that doubt in the back of their heads as to, does he want my friendship or does he want my business? I don't like that. It's not who I am. And I think it's very important to be who you are in real estate. Mm -hmm. Now, maybe I could be much more successful if I did nurture friendships in business a lot more, but it's not who I am. What I do is I do not nurture my friendships with friendship as much as I nurture my relationships with information, insight, and just a brief reminder that I'm here I am the real estate professional that they've been speaking to or listening to or hearing from for years and years and years and years in a row. I'm not begging you for your business. I'm not clawing. But when you need me, I'm here for you if you need me. That's my message I send to the world repeatedly. Mm -hmm. And for me, that has worked very well. For others, it may not be who they are. They may not even like that style. But for me, that is what has worked very, very well. Mm -hmm. yeah. And when did, when did that realization happen for you? Was it from the get-go, from the very beginning of your career, or did it take a while to hone in on that as your essence and your sort of secret sauce as an agent? Well, I've always had a brain that combines artistic, uh, you know, appreciation with mathematics. I was actually mm -hmm. good at both subjects in school, which is a bit unusual, but I did some math early on in my career. And I lived in a building that had 70 apartments. And I said, you know what? I'm going to message to these 70 owners on a regular basis. Um, at the time, there was um, my company did a quarterly report. And I was like, wow, that's such a good idea, a quarterly report. And I started doing a quarterly report. And I said, you know what? I wouldn't want to buy a stock or anything if I knew what stuff was selling for just every quarter. I'd want to know what's happening at least every month. These days, we do it in real time, which is amazing. It's much better. But what I decided to do was not only would I message to 70 um, owners in my building on a monthly basis, but I would also acknowledge that what I'm messaging to them would resonate within, within their sphere of influence. And I believe everyone knows at least 100 people, if not more. So that way, I was speaking to 7,000 people. And in my monthly broadcast that I gave, I gifted information. And I do think gift marketing is incredibly effective. So instead of asking for something, I gifted something and I gave the gift of information and people love information. They love information and insight. And I provided them lots of that as it pertained to the building they live in, the neighborhood we lived in and the market in general. And then I expanded from there. Mm. I love that sentiment of gifting information, especially because you do it so well, especially in your writing. I know you're now on the 190th issue of Luxury Letter, a monthly report for, with incredible insight into Manhattan's downtown luxury real estate market. And on top of that, you provide all of Compass with your daily emails, even on weekends. So many of us feel like we know you because you speak to us every day. What comes to mind when you think about how much you've written and how much knowledge you've shared? Well, I think it's probably been the 
most satisfying experience of my lifetime to be able to communicate with thousands of people every day, that which I feel adds some value to their world and adds tremendous value to my world in that it helps me, it forces me to register all that I read. Uh, it forces me to edit out the things that are important for my value as well as for everyone else's value. And what is most, most um, satisfying is when I see people take stuff from my morning email and use it because it saved them time and it helped them to broadcast something that elevates the conversation in real estate, in the real estate brokerage profession. And I think when we as a profession elevate the dialogue, everyone benefits, especially the consumer, because they're not getting the same old drivel from the brokerage, which is always, do you want to buy? Do you want to sell? Do you want to rent? It's boring. We're supposed to provide people with insights that are relative to them and maybe some information that they didn't have time to edit out of a sea of information. Everyone is overloaded with information. So the more information I can share that gets shared, the happier I am. So that's my daily um, memo, which has also got a corporate role in that it combines and it kind of connects all agents and staff from around the country to know that first thing in the morning, if you want to start here, this is a good place to get started. Mm -hmm. It also messages a lot about the culture of our company and the way I love Compass um, you know, to be. I want it to be this ethical, honest company that um, really focuses on uh, honesty and uh, growth and innovation and perseverance and all these other good things. And I think that can get messaged every single day. And, you know, if you do 365 days a year, all of a sudden, a lot of these messages really start to resonate. But I also think it's very helpful in broadcasting what different properties are being sold for what in different locations and who represents them. Because when Mrs. Smith calls me and says, Lana, do you know anyone in Pasadena? I go, yes, I do. Because I do. And daily, this messaging really helps. My monthly messaging via Luxury Letter is a different animal. It's much more focused. It's hyper-localized hyper on the downtown markets in Manhattan, although I've expanded it a bit because we do sell uptown and in Brooklyn, Queens as well, and Westchester. But the, um, the idea there is to just provide not just data, because when I started this, it was a data provider. And now that the world has become more of an open book, data on its own is useless without insight. So providing additional insight is where I think agents have the capacity to really deliver value to the consumer. Mm, that's great. And you've also mentioned that when you first started Luxury Letter, the competition for this sort of written communication for realtors wasn't as high as it is now. Um, and, and certainly, as you mentioned, there's also so much just more information that we're inundated with. It is has to be all about consistently pushing yourself to be creative and innovative and filtering down to the most essential pieces of information, like you said. Just like fashion, I think if everyone owns a short skirt right now, do I come out with short skirts next season? Mm -hmm. <laughs> I'm always thinking that way. And I think in real estate, I have done that throughout my career. So yeah. with the reporting, while everyone was doing quarterly, I said, I'm going to be the first one to do it monthly. Yeah. So I did it mm. monthly. Then while everyone was going to their website, all of a sudden I said, I'm going to create a website for myself, for my team. Did a website for the team. Then I expanded and I did, um, I actually did a video website. Um, it was one of the first video websites that just had video of all my listings. I wish I had that website going right now because that's what you really need today. 
Um, but I was doing that before everyone else was doing videos. They did a video here and there, but I wanted to have a video content library of people to go just look at video. I also did a blog very, very, very early on. Um, I did staging. I bought a whole apartment's worth of furniture, I think 15 years ago, to do staging, where staging now is the thing. I was mm. 15 years ago with my own furniture and art, because the one thing I recognized in staging early on was that the art was hideous. And mm -hmm. that even adding art alone to a lesser apartment could elevate its appearance dramatically and fuel the imagery. So I've always tried to innovate and think what's next. And I think if you sit down and think, you can come up with great ideas. And none of my ideas are earth shattering. They're just, you know, practical. Mm -hmm. Tweaks. Mm -hmm. They're just small little I, tweaks. Yeah. And that fashion analogy is so refreshing and it's so helpful to think forward and think practically in a way of like, what can you do that's tangible and that will change things and inspire people? Well, fashion has two um, elements to that I think are as important in real estate. One is aesthetics and then two is functionality. And mm -hmm. I always warn people about, you know, when they walk and go like, oh my God, I've got to buy this as the most beautiful kitchen. And I tell them, well, for 150 or $200,000, you can build out the most gorgeous kitchen anywhere. Let's look at everything else. So I think um, being pragmatic, there are fundamentals to certain things that are what they are. When Sidney Crawford was walking through that mall without makeup and hair, someone looked at her and didn't say, I can take that three foot six lady and stretch her. <laughs> you know, they said, with the makeup and the hair, I can make that person look extraordinary. There are fundamentals that are what they are. Mm -hmm. Now, everything can be made to look the very best possible but there are limitations and you cannot create a panoramic city view if you don't have the panoramic city view, but you can create a kitchen and you can create a whole host of other things anywhere. For your writing process, can you give us a look of what your process is like? I'm so amazed by your quick ability to not only consume information, but turn it into insights that are easy to consume. I'm usually up by 5.30 in the morning and I read at least for an hour before I start writing. And I speed read, you know, I am a good mm -hmm. reader and I read, you know, Wall Street Journal, Financial Times, Reuters, Bloomberg, um, New York Post, New York Times, uh, the real deal. I go through the whole gamut of reading and then I will read during the day as well. I have uh, notifications that come to me as well with search words that sometimes help. And then I try reading between the obvious as well because um, that can sometimes deliver interesting topics. I also look at the topicality of the moment and try and relate to that as well because right now if I was talking purely real estate without acknowledging this uh, moment in time that we're in, that would be silly, you know, mm -hmm. it would be inappropriate. So to be relevant, you have to be tuned into what's happening at the specific moment. So I read a lot. I um, I definitely watch the news and I'm online, you know, getting my notifications and all of that fuels enough information. As you can tell, I'm never short of opinions either. <laughs> my mother yeah. said from an early age, I said, you are a nightmare. You have an answer for everything. And that's now, and that's a now a gift. dream. <laughs> that's now such a dream for so many people <laughs> to have an answer for everything. You've talked about the importance of, of investing in yourself. Um, and what this can look like is is getting rid of debt or investing in your business. Um, can you tell us a little bit more about 
about that. Tell us what that looks like. What is what is investing in yourself? What does that look like for you? What does that look like for your business? Well, I think it's very important when you start out in real estate to remember that if you're doing it on your own, you are really your brand. Everything about you matters. If you're even joining a team, how you present yourself in front of that team matters as much. So everything about your existence is a um, critical component to your success. And my regimen to be successful um, is really quite disciplined. I think number one for me, one of my biggest game changes in real estate was when I stopped dressing too casually. Now, it's different for different markets, different for different um, clientele. But for me, it was very, very meaningful when I started to dress up because it indicated a measure of success, not a measure of success, but a measure of respect to my clients that I cared. Um, Grooming, very important. You have to be healthy. So you have to eat properly. You have to sleep properly. You cannot drink too much. You cannot do any drugs. Or if you have to do drugs, they have to be prescribed by a doctor. They shouldn't be the other kind. And I think all of those things really, really matter in the ability for you to conduct yourself in a professional and efficient manner. If I don't wake up at 5.30 to get my job done, it won't get done. I have to have these disciplines in place to function well. And I look at it very much like a car. I know people who say, I'm only going to drive my car with that noise, you know, in the background. And then when it stops and breaks down, I'll deal with it. But usually the car breaks down on a highway in a snowstorm or an ice storm or something, and then you really wish you'd maintained it properly. We aren't that different from machines. If we are not very well and consistently maintained, we cannot operate and function efficiently. We can function, we can get by, but it's usually sloppy and messy. So to streamline and de-stress, I try and make myself as efficient as I possibly can. And that's everything from a consistent schedule to a healthy routine, regular workouts, not overindulging in food or alcohol, really getting the balance right. And then also mentally getting it right. I turn off my phone around 9, 9.30 and I don't look at it again. Mm. That's different for different people. But I think an agent who is not stressed out financially or emotionally or a whole host of other ways that reads poorly to the consumer provides a better service to the consumer unless you can really fake it. And I think there's only so much you can fake. Mm. It's incredible because so much of this investing in yourself requires introspection and reflection. And on that note, we love talking about failures because they humanize us and show our strengths. Can you share a favorite failure of yours? And when we say favorite, we mean one that you've learned a pivotal lesson and came out stronger because of it. You know, the best lesson I ever learned was from an experienced agent. And I do think being around experienced agents is very helpful to anyone starting in the business. Um, I was surrounded by successful agents when I started, and I would just listen to them a lot and how they spoke and learned the language they were speaking. But one agent came and tapped me on my shoulder and she said, Leonard, I'm embarrassed for you. Here you are running around this town selling $89,000 studios. And if I had your fake British accent, I would not be selling fake little studios. I would be going for the big bucks. (laughs) She was right. I hadn't made an honest acknowledgement of the attributes I did have. 
You know, everyone yeah. pines for the things they don't have, yeah. failing to look in the mirror and see what they actually do have first. It's a great building basis to oh. grow a career from. And I have this accent. I grew up in South Africa. It almost sounds British. It's probably got a little bit more Yiddish than British in it, but it's okay. And it works. It resonates. And it does elevate product. When I speak to expensive product, people think it sounds more expensive because I have this accent. So why not use that? And then I learned to use that. And that was probably one of the most valuable lessons ever that I shouldn't feel embarrassed to try and um, insert myself into the higher end of the market. If I did my homework, if I knew my product, if I knew what I was talking about and did so with humility as well. So she didn't say, just skip the studios, dump them and pretend you're a um, really big time agent and fake it and lie. She just said, hey, you've got, a, you've got an accent that could have value, use it. Mm. And I did. Mm -hmm. And it was very helpful. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You've talked a lot today about elevating the profession of real estate. And this also extends to your involvement in the New York Residential Agent Continuum, which is an, an organization created to raise the status of the residential brokerage profession in New York. What's most important to you about that work? I think that's the most important thing anyone should do in a career. If you've had the fortune that I've had to build a successful career and an enjoyable career, the, the thing I'm most proud of in my career is that I send a message to agents who I think are messaged on a daily basis that you have to be a sleazy, smarmy, drinks-throwing trash ball to be successful. I think I offer an alternative message, which is you can be successful and honest and decent, not overly greedy, and still be very, very, very successful at what you do. And I think that to me is a responsibility all successful agents have is at at some point, you have to share your knowledge, you have to share your experience, and you have to influence the profession that you're in as a means of saying thank you for affording you this extraordinary opportunity in life to have a, a, a wonderful career. And I feel that has an obligation to the profession to share as much knowledge and through NIRAC to really help elevate the um, industry as much as I possibly can. And that is never done through the efforts of just one individual. It's always collective effort that has the greatest impact. So I'm always one little cog in the wheel trying to help, um, you know, everything evolve in a good way. Mm. Thank you for that. Thank you for your work. To wrap up, our podcast is called The Thoughtful Realtor. What does it mean to you to be a thoughtful realtor? Well, I think it's such a great title because I think the one thing too many realtors don't do or too many agents don't do, they don't think enough. I think you mm. should be more thoughtful about so many things in real estate brokerage. And it's not just focusing on the transaction. It's focusing on long-term relationships and advisory. The most valuable thing an agent can deliver today to the world is not data. It's the insight and the ability to edit the data in such a manner that it provides real value to the consumer. Mm -hmm. When the consumer sees that you are saving them time and sifting and sorting and editing through all that noise and extrapolating from that the information data that has real value to their decision making, that is when you have you know, brought some great value to the table that they're willing to pay for. And they pay a lot for that. But if they see value, they'll pay whatever it costs. I keep going back to this annoying little saying I have, which is time is the last luxury. 
We're in the luxury marketing business. And if we can deliver time savings to our consumer, that's luxury. And then we've done really great luxury marketing. I love that. Sharing the gift of information and time, a huge luxury. Well, thank you so much, Leonard, for being on this podcast with us today. I'm constantly learning from you. Also, we appreciate your showing up with so with much humility and humor, and it's always a treat. So thank you, thank you. Well, thank you so much to you, and thank you for spreading a good word. I think every little touch point helps. It was so nice to have Leonard on the show today. If you want to be in touch, you can find him on Instagram at the Leonard Steinberg team, his website, www.theleonardsteinbergteam.com has all of the recent issues of luxury letter too. Thank you so much for tuning in today for another episode of the thoughtful realtor. And if you haven't already, please hit that subscribe button and leave us a review. If you've got a friend or a colleague who might benefit from this episode, please share because we're all about spreading the love. Till next time.